Hey everyone, I am Reva and just want to take a moment and thank you for listening to our studio podcast. Although we are here in Greenville, South Carolina, we are grateful for your support to see the message of Jesus go out all over the world. In case you are not aware, we have a YouTube channel, which you can find the link in our podcast bio. We hope you enjoy this week's talk and it encourages you and it helps you to be the human God designed you to be. So with that, let's get right to it. Today is the last installment of our Life of Daniel series. I know many of you are weeping inside your soul right now. You're like, I can't believe it's over. And, but we are, I decided to just end it. We're just, you know, you end it while it's good. So I'm sure I can make it go longer, but I'm like, we're going to end it right here. You know, I, uh, I've always envisioned myself, if I was an athlete, I think I'd want to go out on top. So anyway, I, this is my best attempt in this. I'm going to go out while it's good, okay? But I've really enjoyed this series for a number of reasons. This is week five, installment five, and I've enjoyed it for uh, many reasons because it's a topic and a man that I studied for a long time, but I've never done it in a methodical, systematic way like we've done over the last five Sundays, specifically dedicated to this talk. And so it's nice to kind of get it all out in some organized fashion because a lot of people ask, hey, where, do you, where can I listen to that Daniel stuff? I'm like, I don't know. It's, you know, I spoke it in 2017 and 29 and it just, I'm like, here we go. Here's five talks and here we go. To recap quickly of what we, where we ended up last week. How many of you have been here for at least two of the now five weeks of this series? A bunch of you. Great. Well, if you missed any of the weeks, you can go on their podcast. It's all there. It's all free. All four weeks. Obviously, after today, this will go up. But we've been studying this man. We've not been focusing much on his visions and dreams and interpretation. We've accentuated and emphasized his gift in that, but we've not gone into the complexities of the book of Daniel. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Daniel, it's, it's a companion book to the book of Revelation. And if you're not familiar with the book of Revelation, it's one of the most wild, eccentric, unique books in all of Scripture. And Daniel is right side by side. It's considered a, a book to read alongside a companion book. And because of that, there's so many dreams and visions. There's beasts, there's horns, there's images and metaphors and allegories that kind of just out, live outside of their, their realm of logic and reason. And this series was not to go into the depths of that. It was just to highlight the fact that this man was pivotal in the course of human history and pivotal in the faith in our history of our own faith. Last week, we ended in Daniel chapter 6. We spent specifically around the time of Daniel being thrown into the lion den. He found himself caught in a political triangulation of a corrupt government. He ended up getting thrown into the lion den. And we learn about this man that 60 years into a Babylonian captivity, into a polytheistic, dark culture, he still remained devoted to God. And he was willing to continue to do what he has always done all those years, even in the face of corruption. And that resulted in him being thrown into the lion den. So we talked about what kind of man does that? How, how, do, you, how do you last that long? How do you go 60 years remaining committed in a really dark culture and not be swallowed up by culture, but to actually be within it and influence culture? 
And so we spent last week in Daniel chapter 6. Today we're actually going to go to Daniel chapter 7. If you want to go to Daniel 7, I'll give you a specific address in a minute. But what's interesting, Daniel chapter 7 happened before Daniel chapter 6. We're actually going back 14 years. So what does this tell us? That the book of Daniel is not really in perfect chronological order. So it's important to understand that you, some, some of these books, for those of you that want to go in, uh, just another layer deeper in your studies, start looking at the chronological timeline, the specific books that you read, and you'll notice like, oh, some of these books and chapters, because remember, when these words were written, they were not organized in verses and chapters. That's something that happened many years, centuries later. So we're actually reading a book that is not chronological. It's not in order. So Daniel 7 actually happens about 14-ish years earlier. So we're going to focus on that today specifically. But I want to emphasize something. There's things that happen that we're going to read today that help us to understand that Daniel's life has a direct impact on us today in 2024. What he did in the course of his life, the things he saw, the life he chose to live, the, the rules and principles that he lived by, and his ability to see what God was going to do for the future and the centuries to come has a direct effect on our faith and literally our existence in the context of our walk with God. And I want to just highlight something before we get into it is this. Be careful to never discount your life that it doesn't matter. I, I run into way too many people that live their life thinking it actually doesn't matter what I do in this lifetime. You have to understand that what you do in this lifetime affects the generation you will never meet. So don't, don't wake up in the morning with it like, my life has no point. My life has no purpose. Because it actually does. Whatever you do in this lifetime actually has a direct effect in generations after you. And you'll be amazed at how many generations later. We see this throughout scripture. So I want to highlight to you the decisions you make today have a direct effect on the generations to come. We learned about his faithfulness. We learned about his commitment. We learned that he had a spirit of excellence, which also means extraordinary and exceptional. How many would love to be known as someone that has an excellent spirit and you're extraordinary and you're exceptional? Three of you. Okay, at least three. That's fine. That's enough. That's enough to change the world. So in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 15, we're not going to read the first 14 verses of this chapter, because in that is a basically a description of a vision and an encounter with an angel telling him what this vision is about. There's lots of interesting images and symbolic stuff happening in the first 14 verses. We're going to jump to verse 15, and we're going to read all the way through verse 22. Verse 15, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the vision that passed through my mind disturbed me. Stop right here. How many of you ever had that experience? Well, we love the vision that like make us happy, but don't be surprised when some disturb you. Verse 16, I approached one of those standing there and I asked him the meaning of all of this. So he told me and he gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the most high will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. I want you to make a note of verse 18 because we're going to circle back to that. 
Let's keep going in verse 19. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast had crushed and devoured its victim, trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. Last verse, verse 22. Until, everybody say until. Until. Say it again, until. Until. The ancient of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. It's important when you read scripture like this, we oftentimes want to fast forward and apply it to us today in our context. And that's the beauty of scripture. But if we miss its context, historical and cultural and theological context, we often can misapply stuff of this scale and misapply in our life. We're not going to go into the depths of it, but let's take a moment and identify these four beasts. Daniel had this vision where he sees four beasts. And it traditionally understood that the lion, which was the first beast, is representation of the Chaldean or King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the first beast that came up in this vision. The second one was the bear. The bear represents the Persian Empire. Some of you are here on week one and week two. We talk about the different empires that went from Chaldean to Persian to Greek and then to Rome. These four different empires. So the second beast was representation of the Persian Empire. The third one is the leopard, and it's making reference to the Greek Empire, which is where Alexander the Great, there's actually a new Netflix series that came out that's all about Alexander the Great. It's actually quite fascinating to watch in the middle of this study, but Alexander the Great was one of the most, most quickest. He was 28 years old when he took over the whole world. It took him six years to do it. And then he took another six years and he took over India, Asia. I mean, he, this guy was young and let's just say quite ambitious. And the leopard represents the Greek empire, which is Alexander the Great. The fourth one was an unidentified beast. It's a very unique looking one. You can go read about it. There's no real natural comparison to this animal. It was just a unique looking beast. And yet, this is one that Daniel was terrified by the most. And this one represents the Roman Empire. Why is this important for us? Because when you follow these empires, by the time you get to the Roman Empire, this is where you see Jesus step onto the scene. So Daniel's ability to understand and see the future actually begins to paint the picture of God's intent from the beginning. And Jesus enters the conversation during the Roman Empire. And this is where everything changes. I made you read verse 18 and 22 with me, but let's read it again together now that we have a little bit of a brief context of these statements that are being made. Go to verse 18. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it, yes, forever and ever. Let's go to verse 22. Until the ancient of days came and pronounced judgment in the favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. So here we have four empires, and Daniel, the the angel that talking to him said, there is a time coming where the saints of the Most High Let me put it in simple terms, people that follow God. 
will possess the kingdom. Yes, forever and ever. Now, we're going to jump ahead. Don't turn there, but in Luke 12, verse 32, there's this comment, which is one of many comments that Jesus makes to his men, his disciples. He said, don't worry. It is my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What I want to introduce to you, or at least get you to, your attention back to, is this reality. There are empires that have ruled the world. There are kingdoms that are led by earthly kings. But Daniel begins to say there's another kingdom coming that will be established forever. So when Jesus steps on the scene, we are introduced to this idea that Jesus brings in what he calls the kingdom of heaven, which is established forever. You find Jesus saying comments like this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right there. And then he'll say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we see this language happening throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then it continues through the rest of the Old Testament. So I want you to connect this Old Testament reality five to 600 years earlier and fast forward time when Jesus said, now the kingdom of heaven has come. This is the kingdom that will be established forever and ever. So this is why you're here in Christian circles in modern times. We talk about what is the kingdom of heaven? What does that actually mean? But I want to I take a moment today and just dive into something around this idea of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a framework that I've used for a lot of my adult life that helps me to understand this, this inner thing in us that knows we're called to something. Like we know that we're designed and called to something and why we get up every day. And I also recognize some people don't have that inner sense of knowing why they're alive, and so they don't wake up every day. They just hit autopilot and cruise through the remainder of their life. So there's a framework that I've used, but this last week I got in a really deep conversation with Erwin, and he elevated and refined some of my language. So I want to share some stuff that came out of that conversation, and we're going to unpack a little bit. But it's interesting, when you know that you're chosen you live life very differently. When you know that you've been called, you live life completely differently than someone that's not been called or doesn't feel like they've been chosen. Any culture that believes they are chosen has a higher chance of success. Any culture that raises their children thinking they are chosen those children have a way higher chance of succeeding in life than the ones that don't. So there's something about understanding and wrestling with this reality. Am I chosen? Am I called? And when you're not, life is very different for you. So there's a framework. If you look at, if you look at Mormonism, Mormons believe they are chosen this is why they are highly successful in every facet of life. Some of the wealthiest, most successful, accomplished people on earth are Mormons. Why? Because they were raised in an environment they believed that they were chosen. Have you ever wondered why Jewish people are so successful and they've been one of the most oppressed people group for centuries? Because they believed they were chosen. You see, when you're chosen... When you know you're chosen, your chance of success is so much higher than anyone that doesn't feel like they're chosen. So there's three words I want you to write down. Design, calling, and character. 
design, calling, and character. You becoming aware of your design is integral in this idea of experiencing success in your life. So let's ask the question, how do you know what you were designed for? It's what comes most natural to you. It's the areas in your life that if you put any effort and energy, it accelerates. It grows rapidly. And if there are areas in your life that no matter how much time and energy you put in it, it doesn't accelerate, it doesn't grow rapidly, perhaps it's not your design. Doesn't mean you don't do it, it's just not your design. There are things in my life that if I put five minutes into it, it's like 10 hours of effort into that very thing. Why? Because I was designed for it. It's so intrinsic to who I am as a human. Specifically, I'll give you one area that if I put any effort, any energy into this, it accelerates. It's in communication, teaching, and preaching. If I set up time just to commit myself to that, it accelerates. My ability to learn, it comes so natural, it's so easy, it's almost effortless. So I want you to ask yourself a question. What is your design? What is that thing that pushes you? You get up going, I would design for X. It's usually not one thing. You'll find it's actually multiple things in life, but there are things that come so easy to you. You need to pay attention to your design. You need to pay attention to those things that are in your life. What's interesting, if you have a design focus, then your domain changes, but your design always happens. So instead of being career-driven, you're now design-driven. Instead of going, this is my career is my design, going, my design will have different careers. My design allows me to do multiple things throughout my life or multiple things at once because you're not being career-driven, you're being design-driven. Second thing, let's talk about calling. Calling is an interesting word. It's interchangeable with other words. Some people say destiny. And depending on your faith, you might say fate. But calling destiny and fate, you see, your design pushes you, but your calling pulls you. Your calling is that thing out there that you can't shake. You have to continue. You feel like something is pulling you towards something. It's something in the future. This is your calling. What's interesting about calling is that actually when you know your calling, your destiny, or your fate, it actually helps you to process pain. It actually helps you to process failure. The problem is if you don't know your calling, when you enter a crisis, you think that's the end of your story. But when you know your calling, when you know your destiny, when you know what's out there in the future, you can walk through any crisis any tragedy, because all of this is moving you towards something. There's so much here. I, I almost want to, how much, I mean, I'm, it's essential that you understand what you're designed for, which is that thing that pushes you. And it's also essential that you understand you have a calling, a destiny that's actually pulling you into the future. So if you're struggling in a crisis and tragedy and you believe this is the end of your story or that is a thought in your psyche or that's a thought in your soul going, is this it? Have I reached my point? Have I reached the end of my road? I want to challenge you. Perhaps you've forgotten your calling. 
you've forgotten your design. The evidence that you have design and calling is proof that you've been chosen. You've been chosen when you have a design and calling. What's interesting though, design and calling are completely out of your control. There's nothing you can do about it. Someone else designed that and called you. But there's a third area, it's called character. That's completely in your control. This is the one thing that you actually can determine the outcome, is your character. The challenge is when you don't actually establish character in your life, you begin to have a design flaw. Or you begin to have destructive habits. You begin to destroy people around you and you begin to have destructive habits in your life that actually are destroying who you are as a human. So understand design and calling, nothing you can do about it. It's the thing that pushes you and it's the thing that pulls you. But your character, you are responsible for that. That is the foundation. The most free and powerful people are the ones who know their designs, knows their calling and destiny. However, it will be their character that will actually determine what kind of outcome they will have. Without discipline, your design never gets refined. Here's the interesting part about chosen and being called and designed. And there's actually a shadow side to it. The shadow side of this is arrogance, self-centeredness, narcissist. Some of the greatest narcissists that you will ever find in this world believe they were called and chosen and they've justified it. Challenges of their character had led to a design flaw. So we have to ask the question, how do we mitigate this? How do we mitigate this idea of like, I'm chosen? And we see in Daniel, and Daniel's making reference to the nation of Israel, the Hebrew culture, the Jews. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he democratizes the thing. He doesn't lower the value of the Jewish people. He actually makes it to Jews and Gentiles, which is all of humanity. So now we know we're chosen, but how do we mitigate this reality that knowing that I'm chosen doesn't give me permission to be arrogant, self-centered, narcissist, and eventually a sociopath? How do we mitigate this? This is the beauty of the life of Jesus. Jesus himself is the one that mitigates it, not by the, just by the cross, but by his teachings. Yeah. Write this down in your notes. Matthew 5 is Jesus' introductory terms of agreement for following him. Prior to Jesus getting up and speaking what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is considered the greatest message ever, especially by Jesus. And Jesus gets up. You have to understand, they're like, we're chosen people. The Messiah has come. They're aware of Daniel's prophecies. They're aware of all these prophecies over the centuries. They've been tracking it. And they recognize Jesus is the kingdom that's coming to be established forever. So they're ready for dominion. They're ready to take over the world because all these empires are doing it. Now it's our turn. This is what's going through the psyche, the soul, the emotion of a Jewish people. To like, there's that guy. We're going to take over the empire, take it back from Rome, and now we're going to be established forever. This is what's going through their mind. And Jesus gets up in Matthew 5 and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. They're like, that is not the opening line I thought that Jesus was going to start this campaign of taking over the Roman empire. Blessed are the meek, 
Blessed are the ones that are brokenhearted. Blessed are those that are mourned. Blessed are those. That, and he's going down this list. All of these things is how you mitigate the shadow side of being chosen. Are you guys alive with me today? You get deeper into Matthew 5. He says, listen, if someone slaps you on the cheek, give them the other. This is the opposite of how you take over another empire. So if you want to know how to mitigate your chosen, some of you have been told you've been chosen, but you're so scared of becoming arrogant, self-centered, you've chosen to not be chosen. It's not your choice, first of all. This is why you wake up in the middle of the night and you don't feel like you've accomplished everything in your life because you're working against being chosen. Some of us are so scared of being courageous, we're scared we're going to become arrogant. Guess what? God is so good, he will confront you when you become arrogant. So at least give courage a try. At least give it an attempt. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. Like, Eric, you're being so self-centered right now. Anytime we fall into sin or fall into negative pattern, God always gave us an option to choose another path. So I would encourage you, err on the side of taking courageous steps in your life. And if you're off, if you're getting off track, God will come and let you know. So being chosen is who you are. You have a design, you have a calling, but character is up to you. If you want your design and calling to actually flourish and thrive in your life, then laying a foundation of character is essential. Why don't you stand? It is time to wrap this talk up. I know, I'm sorry. Second gathering, gonna get more. So that's just how it works. I'm so sorry. Just how it works. And this is why I believe Daniel is just powerful, prime example to take a look at. Here's a man that had deep character. He had, he had all the reason to become arrogant, to become self-centered. He had all those reasons. He had a culture that perpetuated it and bred people that this was normal and okay. His character is what kept his design and calling intact. And it didn't become a design flaw. It didn't, it didn't become just about what he was doing because he knew who he was as a man and he knew who he was as his. So, Father, I pray for every person today. Thanks for listening to today's talk. If you're interested in learning more about Studio here in Greenville, you can go check out our website, studiogreenville.com. And you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is studio.greenville. Have a great week.